Hello, welcome to the Ornstein and Chapman podcast on The Athletic, bringing you exclusive and original stories and interviews offering a gender-setting insight from inside the game from David and our writers across The Athletic. Uh, on this pod, we'll take you inside the Everton training ground on the day Marco Silva was sacked. We'll discuss where Everton go next. We'll look at how Leicester plan to hold on to their star names now that Brendan Rodgers has signed a new contract. And David, of course, will give us more details on the exit of Unai Emery and the latest on their search for a new manager at Arsenal. Um, we, we are in a... I mean, the transfer window is, what, three weeks away, something mm. like that. So we are in a purple period when it comes to managers' futures at the moment. We have struck lucky. Yeah, the, the final international break before the transfer window is known as the real sort of window of jeopardy for managers. That's the time when you should be watching your back. Most of them sort of got through it, apart from Maurizio Pochettino. Um, but still, with the window looming and business to be done, um, it's a precarious time for several managers, several clubs. And uh, it keeps us talking. <laughs> <laughs> it does. And, and rather than be specific at the start here, we're, we're going to look at... Uh, the the managerial situation in general. The Athletic senior football writer Oliver Kay is here. Ollie, your column last week was sacking a manager gives the illusion of strength, but it's often just a poor decision. And this week's is all about the rise of the British manager again. St- start with last week's first of all, and the difference between some people thinking it is a, a position of strength, but it being a poor decision. If we take Unai Emery, for example, I mean, Arsenal sacked him feeling that things have become untenable, but it's become clear they sacked him without a plan. That, I think, is dangerous. I'm not saying I think that Emery was doing a great job. I don't think he was doing a great job. I don't think he was winning that particular one. But was it so bad that they had to press the button at that precise moment? Or would it have been better to to wait? I even think, you know, go back to... Um, Javi Gracia at Watford at the start of the season, they lost the first four games and everyone could say, yes, they, they finished last season badly as well. But, you know, it, it's now three months later and they're making another appointment. So was was sacking Gracia a, a good decision? What, what would be wrong with sometimes holding your nerve a bit? Any normal business, and we've discussed this before, would always have a plan. The 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 feeling in football is, you're go. You're not allowed to talk to anybody. Don't talk, until, until you've got rid of someone. You're not allowed to talk to anybody, because you're tapping them up, or you're doing this, or you're doing that. In your experience, how many clubs really sack a manager without having a plan? I'd say it happens more outside the Premier League. There are numerous examples of of, of Championship clubs or League One clubs where they it, it kind of rumbles on for. For, for weeks without without an appointment and they're just sort of thinking, right, what, what's out there? Let's hope something emerges. Let's hope the cheap caretaker guy does enough. Everton might hope that that, 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 that happens uh, that, that happens there. Um, it happened with Manchester United last season, of course. I remember Man City sacked Mark Hughes and replaced him with Roberto Mancini sort of overnight and there was wide re- widespread revulsion among the football community and among fans and a lot of uh, journalists in particular saying, look, this is just not on, you can't treat a manager like that. But these days it's 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 become much more normal and Man- uh, Spurs sack Pochettino and then a couple of hours later you know, they, they they wheel out Mourinho and that that is good planning. I don't know if it's good planning to sack Emery as Arsenal did and, and not have a plan. See, I, I was talking to someone who, who works at a leading Premier League club and they said to me, they are astounded that in an era where recruitment plays this massive part in Premier, whether it's smoke and mirrors, who knows, but recruitment is this massive thing in Premier League football, why there doesn't appear to be as much investment and scouting on 
coaching strategies and the coaching future as there is on who's going to be our next centre-half, who's going to be our mm. next right-winger. Yeah, that's a really... Um, and we talked about it a little bit last week. Why don't clubs pay the same level of fee for a yeah. manager as they would for a player? Um, also, there's a line here that, that's quite tricky to get right if you're a club between sort of ethics and being streetwise. So... The, the ethical stance, you could argue, is perhaps what Arsenal have taken, which is um, not holding proper talks. Some inside the club would say any talks, but I, I don't know the exact accuracy of that with candidates before removing the guy who's in place at that point in time. I was told that um, KSE, Cronky Sports Entertainment, they wouldn't allow it at any of their teams in the States or, or with Arsenal uh, to have candidates interviewed, approached behind the back of an existing existing head coach. And if they found out that that had happened at any of them, they wouldn't be happy and they would deal with it accordingly. But that then puts you on the back foot and it denies you the opportunity that uh, the likes of Tottenham... Uh, had with with Mourinho, which had been done behind the back of um, uh, Maurizio Pochettino. Uh, You could argue that Arsenal went behind Unai Emery's back in making the decision because they made it in America on on the weekend and then he he wasn't told about it until the Friday morning he was sacked. But in terms of approaching others, they they don't want to do that. This is quite a unique situation for Arsenal, appointing a manager mid-season for the first time in in more than two decades. I think these clubs are are surveying the market constantly, uh, analysing the data around managers, but it is pretty fluid. You don't really plan to, in most cases, for your manager to be gone. Um, and the, the the availability of managers, and, and we touched upon it last week, somebody like Thomas Tuchel was very keen on the Arsenal project before Arsene Wenger left. He needed to, or felt he needed to make a decision on his future. He signed for PSG because Arsenal still had Wenger in position. No final decision had been taken. A couple of weeks later, Wenger left but someone like Tuchel was already at PSG. So surveying the market, doing your data analysis probably only gets you so far. Uh, uh, we may never know this, but I'd love to know what the Cronkies think of the difference in trying to appoint a manager and a head coach to Arsenal compared to when they had to do it two and a half years ago, I think, at the LA Rams, when they also actually that season ditched their head coach mid-season, put someone in charge of special teams. And then what happens in the NFL and in American football is it's all very grown up in that you ask for permission to talk to four or five different coaches. Everybody knows who is being interviewed. Yes, you're going to talk to the defensive coach of them and the offensive coach of them. And then you eventually reach your decision. I'd love to know their, what their thoughts on the differing processes. Yeah, that's fascinating. The, the only difference I do know, without meaning not to answer your question, is that they're not leading this process in mm. the UK. It's being led by, as we said last week, Raul Sanlehi, but in conjunction with Vinay Venkatesham, the managing director, Edu, the technical director, and Hus Fahmy, the contracts negotiator, they will take two or three recommendations to the Cronkies in the States and a decision will be made. I'm going to bring Patrick Boyle and in writes about Everton for the Athletic Coast host the Everton podcast Glad Tidings. Uh, hello, Patrick. Hi, hi, how are you going? I'm good. Do Everton have a plan? <laughs> what a question. What a question. <laughs> um, I, to be honest, I, th- I think if we look at and we take Friday as a as a starting point, you, you look at the way that things were handled with Marco Silva. There was a lot of indecision there. That, that's what we were told on, on our side. And the feeling has been maybe that Everton haven't been quite as decisive as they perhaps should have done. Even now we're, we're into the next week and, and Duncan Ferguson is still obviously the interim manager. So 
I think there's a I think there's a plan, but I think the plan is being executed slowly, and it may be not quite as quick as some people would have liked. Uh, I also think that Duncan Ferguson and and the way he kind of galvanised the side on on Saturday means that people at Goodison may be prepared to take a little bit more time again with with the um, appointment of Silver's successor. So it's been it's been a fascinating kind of forty eight hours and and beyond. I, I just feel as though Everton now have an opportunity almost to kind of right the wrongs of the past, to look at what went wrong before, particularly with the um, the succession plan for Ronald Koeman and, and how things spiralled out of control there. And hopefully they've started to learn lessons from, from what happened then. So two things then. Do you think that what happened at the weekend under Ferguson against Chelsea has bought the owners some time? There's no rush. And secondly, do you think what happened on Saturday has taken either Marcel Brands or Fahad Mashiri or Bill Kenwright by surprise? I mean, to answer your first question, I think it does by Marcel Brands, Fahad Mashiri and Bill Kenwright, the, the three main decision makers at, at Goodison Park, a little bit more time. They, they know that in Duncan Ferguson, they have somebody that temporarily at least can, can get something out of these players, can get a tune out of them and... Looking at some of those stats from from the game on Saturday, Everton made 37 tackles. It, it, it's well documented. It was it was on match of the day, and that was a league high this year. Uh, mm. I think it's also the, the most tackles Everton have made in a Premier League game for about 12 years. Mm. Certainly, certainly over a decade. So that tells you everything you need to know about what Duncan Ferguson can, can do in kind of a, a one-off scenario or over over the short term. I don't think there would be a massive problem for, for Everton's hierarchy if Ferguson then went on to take the game at Old Trafford on, on Sunday against Manchester United. So, yes, it does buy them a little bit of time in that regard. The one takeaway from the game is that you look at what Ferguson was able to do with those players, and I think it buys into this idea that's kind of become pretty widespread amongst the Everton fan base that an Everton manager kind of needs to understand Goodison and needs to choose a team that will get the most out of the crowd. And that, that's kind of a symbiotic relationship. We speak a lot in football about the crowd sparking something in the players, but I think it can also work the other way. And the, the two can feed into each other. And it was a back-to-basics approach. So there's no doubt about that. But while Ferguson may, may not be the option in the long term, I think Marcel Brands and, and Bill Kenwright and even Farhad Mashiri will have looked at some of the elements of the display I think that should be carried forward when they when they hunt for a new successor. Do you think Ferguson has a chance after Saturday? To be honest, I, I don't even think Ferguson himself believes that he has a chance or, or had a chance. When we went to his press conference on Friday, there was a lot made about this being a, a temporary thing, potentially a one-off, but potentially something that would only be a short-term manoeuvre from Everton and I don't think much has changed in that regard Everton the really interesting thing here is that Marcel Brands the director of football has been brought in to implement a long-term footballing strategy and Marco Silva was meant to fit into that it was meant to be about high pressing fast pressing winning the ball dominating possession in the in the opponent's half and final third Duncan Ferguson is kind of a departure from that even on a temporary basis so Perhaps the danger here is, and, and obviously it's not a danger in one sense, because if Ferguson continues to win games and the, the momentum is kind of continually behind him, then, then that's obviously a positive in one sense. But it, it is a departure from what we've seen before. The danger then becomes that you have a squad 
that's kind of pulling in a few different directions. Um, Everton have got a squad at this moment in time that bears the remains, the remnants of four or five failed managers already. And I think the concern has to be that if Everton do choose to depart from Silver style and, and what came before, then in theory, there's going to have to be another splurge. You're going to have to go and you, you've got a squad that's maybe ill-fitted to a Duncan Ferguson or another potential new manager. You might have to go out into the into the transfer market and buy quite a few new players for for a manager again. And quite simply, Everton have done that far well, too often. Well, There's I, been a lot of upheaval. Foxy actually sent us a message on this saying some of Everton's problems are driven by the change in footballing methodologies over the past few managerial appointments, resulting in poor, inconsistent recruitment. So how important is it that Everton pursue a consistent long-term strategy, perhaps with short-term results pain? Well, it's absolutely paramount to, to answer his question. And the best example I can use is that Sam Allardyce, while he was at Goodison, he brought in two players in the in the January window. One was Theo Walcott, the other was Jenk Tosin. Marcel Brands, as a director of football, is somebody that has looked to buy under the age of 24 and, and promote from within. And then we've had, in the past, we've had kind of what I would consider to be drop-offs from top six clubs, Morgan Schneidlin and, and various others. So there's a muddled strategy at work here. And I think if Everton are to get themselves out of where they are at this moment in time, a pretty precarious position within the league, then there needs to be a greater example of clear thinking, of a strategy that is totally, totally focused on one style of play, one type of manager, and it all fits in. And really, the the head coach, somebody like Marco Silva, they should just be the the figurehead for that. And you should be able to, if if Silva goes, find somebody of a similar ilk to to continue the project on. Conceivably, do you think Mashiri might want one person, Marcel Brands might want another, and Bill Kenwright might want a third? Well, we we actually wrote about this last week on the on the website. My, myself and the the other Everton correspondent, Greg O'Keefe, and we we spoke to a lot of people within the game about those three figureheads at, at Everton. And what we got back was that Farhad Mashiri has has often wanted what I would kind of loosely term to be a Hollywood manager. Yeah, a, a Diego Simeone, or um, at the moment Carlo Ancelotti is another name that's that that's been on 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 the list. Bill Kenwright has, has got a kind of a romantic notion about what Everton should be. They should look to find a, a grassroots manager, an Eddie Howe, or in the past, David Moyes. We, we know he's still invested in, in the idea of bringing David Moyes back. And Marcel Brands is is the guy that's meant to be in charge of of leading this this next step for Everton. And he wants something completely different again. And he, he wants somebody that, that can carry out the, the style of football that he's been trying to, to implement over the over the last 18 months, making a decision and, and, and finding a clear strategy when you've got such differing viewpoints, I think, is is particularly difficult. And it, it does make it harder for Everton to, to get this next decision right. But they absolutely have to when you look at where they are in the table, how much money they've spent and, and looking ahead to potentially moving to a new stadium in on the on the North Docks in Bramley Moor Dock in, in time for the 2023 season. That's, I think... This next decision is, is going to shape the vision of what modern Everton is going to be, in a sense. Thank you very much, Patrick. What word did you write on your on your little notes there? That was the first word you wrote. I'm trying to read it upside down, Ollie. Does that say communication? It does, ironically. Hey, that's... that's yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> done well. Sending you and I a message. I done well to read that upside down. So, uh, 
Ferguson in particular on Saturday was at one with the fans mm. and at one with the players. Mm. It, it was it was obvious. Was that um, you can see you can see that with Klopp at Liverpool, yep. at one with the players and at one with the fans. Guardiola at, at City every mm-hmm. time. Simeone actually at Atletico. Mm. You went to talk to Kieran Trippier mm-hmm. last week. Chris Wilder. Yeah, I could keep. I could keep yeah. going on. But that, to me, at the moment, seems the key to getting it right. A manager who can both talk outwardly to the fans and talk inwardly to the players. Would that be fair? I totally agree. When we're talking about the managers who are a really good fit at their clubs, it's the ones who speak the same languages as, as, as the players. I'm not talking literally uh, language, but but the ones who are where there's a consistent message and and a, and a real sort of connection between the manager and the fans, between the players and the fans, between the, the, the players and the manager. And Solskjaer has that at, at Man United. Yeah. You, you know, the, the, there might be questions about, about coaching or whatever, but Solskjaer has that. And that and that was really important for Manchester United at the time he arrived. Klopp very, very clearly has it at Liverpool and started that off almost from the moment he came in. And Chris Wilder, Dean Smith. It's, Lampard. It, Lampard, absolutely. I mean, it's it's it seems to be more and more of an issue at a time when probably we're thinking that it's all about what they do on the training ground and it's all about tactics and in-game management. It feels like that connection has become ever more important within the game. And and therefore, your column this week is on the the resurrection rise mm. of the British manager in yeah. the Premier League. And hopefully people listening will realise <laughs> that our discussion there isn't just saying it's all British managers, but maybe they're going back to British managers because they now have coaching badges mm-hmm. and, are, and are, are qualified, but also that communication. Yeah, and, and and it's not just, I mean, that 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 thing that we talk about, that connection, that communication, the ability to energise a crowd, yeah. it's not restricted to British managers no. or, or managers who know the club. I mean, Ralph Hasenhutl has, yeah. has clicked with a, with the Southampton crowd in a way that, that Mark Hughes didn't. But in terms of the English, English and British, and I will include you know the british isles in this yes. this this time a year ago 12 months ago after hasenhutl reflects uh, replaced um mark hughes at southampton there were five british or or irish managers in the premier league which is which is incredibly low there are now 10 or 11 of you include duncan ferguson it's 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 very interesting that because it's not necessarily the the, the old names that we were no. appointed two years ago Allardyce, Moyes, Pardew, etc. It's it, Pulis. It's it's different guys. I mean, Nigel Pearson is at a different stage of his career to say Graham Potter or Brendan Rodgers, but uh, Frank Lampard. But it, it's really interesting that, that British managers, English managers, seem to be coming back on vogue. Um, but so, uh, just uh, mm. well, I don't know what you think about this because I, I was looking through Nigel Pearson's. Twitter feed as he got the Watford job and he talked about some of the but he'd done an LMA diploma mm. he talked about going on uh, to being at some conference that had been uh, at Twickenham and a bit like with youth football and the resurgence of the England underage sides under 21 under 17s under 90s David I wonder whether you think now some clubs are now getting the benefit of a lot of managers going through these licenses, badges, being qualified, and then and therefore being able to hold their own. Well, it seems that they had to work harder 
and more broadly and network better and be in the right places um, have the right qualifications um, because as Sam Allardyce has talked about on a number of occasions and many others there seem to be this affinity for foreign coaches the luster that comes with that um, and so I am seeing and hearing and speaking to English coaches now who are covering every base to make sure that they are as um suitable for these clubs as those foreign coaches. Do they still feel that they have to work harder? I'm not sure. Um, Certainly they had a lot of catching up to do and then it's about changing perceptions and building the right relationships. The right relationships are absolutely key. But the moment now, as Oli points out and is writing about this week, is, is about the communication and that's what Arsenal are heavily looking for now. It's one of their key criteria, whether that's a, an overseas manager or not. The language, the connection with the club. Um, Both the, ways, fans and players. Fans, players, staff and media as mm. well. Um, that's one of the key things for Arsenal um, and, and it will be for many other clubs as well. And then you've got factors like the ability to coach and, and for to bring players on to fulfil their potential. Um, to know the Premier League well, to know the club and in in the case of Arsenal, really rebuild their identity that seems to have gone missing a bit. But I'd like to make a really simplistic point that that covers both what Paddy and Ollie have said. Um, Being on the same page is absolutely fundamental and it sounds simple, but it doesn't seem to be being done everywhere. And when you look at the Premier League table the likes of Manchester City, Liverpool, um, Leicester City, absolutely, Uh, even Manchester United, whether you like the process or not, they, from people I speak to at Old Trafford, are completely behind the vision of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. For right or for wrong, they're backing it. And those other clubs, and Tottenham will be the same under Mourinho, they are fully backing the one vision that they all share at hierarchy level, unlike the fractured um, thinking at, at Everton's hierarchy, and you could say similar at Arsenal. And look, it's no coincidence who's up the top of the table. And even even lower down, you know, Hassenhüttl seems to be getting it together now, as Oli pointed out, they do share a vision. So wh- whether results are coming now or not, that simple point of being on the same page should not be underestimated and it's not as common as you might think. As far as Arsenal's search for a manager is concerned then, whilst all these different names are being thrown into into the hat, if you actually look at a few that have been mentioned, Ancelotti, Martinez, Vieira, Arteta, to name but four, they would all, t- they might play different styles of football, but that would be a Big tick. All they having, they all have in common. Good communication. Good communication. Good language as well. Um, and I don't think the problem with Emery was so much his language. It was the the clarity of communication. And Great. all of those you mentioned will have that as well. Um, Arsenal's process, while we don't know the the exact status of it, is is said to be thorough. And that's one of the key areas that they'll be looking at. I've been told by a couple of people that. Mikel Arteta is is the number one target of Arsenal now and that's been reported elsewhere too. Um, Some feel it's as close as being his decision and some say no, he still has to come through a a thorough interview process. So we've got to be careful uh, with exactly what we say. And then Patrick Vieira is is in the frame too Um, and people might point to his underwhelming record you could say at Nice but he has the Arsenal connection he has managed 
um, more than Arteta and, and Freddie Lundberg, for example. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came from a much lower mm. level, for example, from Mulder to manage Manchester United. Um, yes, the likes of Carlo Ancelotti tick other boxes in terms of the, the vast European success and experience. Um, but I don't know, I, I suspect and could be completely wrong here that Arsenal are focusing towards the younger end and also the connection with Arsenal because that is a key thing that appears to be have been lost uh, even towards the end of the Wenger reign and all the acrimony there and certainly during Unai Emery's tenure. Just a final one on Arteta, Oli. Sam Lee wrote a piece in The Athletic over the weekend about uh, it, it, it's te- he'll want to wait to see what Guardiola does next, which is quite difficult to second guess at the moment. It is, yeah. I mean, um, David's column in The Athletic was reflecting, I think, what a few of us have heard within the game, which was that is that there is a sort of, although nobody inside Manchester City is, is saying that they expect Guardiola to go at the end of the season, there are a few people have mentioned rumblings that, that they feel it's a possibility. Now, that's, that, that's people speculating within the game rather than uh, acting on sort of hard information. And, although and, just, just, to, just to sort of clarify it a little bit, mm. Just because somebody from within Manchester City doesn't say anything to you about it, there are other ways for you guys Absolutely. to gauge the mood around around Guardiola. And there's one just what, just without just throwing mm, you know yeah. clickbait because we don't do clickbait, <laughs> but clickbait um, speculation out there. You know, there are other people you can talk to who aren't within Manchester City to get a gauge. Definitely. And, and <laughs> it doesn't serve us any benefit making anything up or, 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 or exaggerating stuff for all of our credibility. So we are looking into these things properly and speaking to people who we hope are trusted and well connected and have a good track record in, in um, providing us with accurate information. Of course, whether it is happening or not, or whether anybody knows... Um, Manchester City aren't going to say anything at this point. He's in charge. He's got a, a year and a half left on his contract. Um, it would cause pandemonium if they were to say something or if something was even to be sort of briefed subtly, um, not only among the Manchester City players and staff, but among staff, coaches, managers, agents around Europe and the world. It, it would potentially be chaos, as kind of it was when it was revealed that Pep would be leaving Bayern Munich and then the second stage was that it was confirmed because people had to because the whole place was going crazy that it was actually Manchester City that would be his destination. Um, but we've talked on here before about the situation and, and in the column with his wife and some of his children going back to Barcelona. Um, we have talked about the succession planning that Manchester City are doing regardless. And one thing that's very clear is that they are now planning for life with or without Pep Guardiola and previously it was always only life with. Uh, on the stability at Leicester in that Brendan Rodgers has signed his new deal and now players mm. might follow suit. You've written about this. Yeah, lovely story there uh, at Leicester in that it, it, this was no surprise to staff and players at Leicester that he was going to extend his deal. Um, and one of the little examples that shows that is that he was um, uh, in recent weeks inquiring um, with the member of the communications team that he works on his uh, programme notes for before home 
matches, whether he could uh, verbalise those programme notes, voice them out loud um, in order to benefit um, visually impaired supporters, spectators at the games. And it was just little signs like that, investing himself fully in all aspects of the club that said to people that he was going nowhere. It's a very unusually long contract. It's Mm. almost a throwback to Alan Pardew at Newcastle. Or Graham Potter at Brighton. Indeed, (laughs) another another very interesting situation there. And I don't think anybody's sort of saying that he'll be seeing out that contract, um, but it at least provides some security, spreads the length of um, any sort of bonus payments or or, or things like that, as with player deals. Um, And at Leicester at the same time, they're they're pretty confident on another couple of contracts as well. James Madison, that's been reported for a while that negotiations had started there ongoing. And um, I've got a feeling that despite... um, him having some very high-profile suitors like Manchester United. And I'm sure if he continues on this track, there will be a a high-profile move at some point. But I'd expect him to sign a new contract before that and and then see how things go. Time's on his side, 23 years old. And and everybody in that situation is pretty relaxed because he's he's under contract until 2023. And uh, we have reported this week that it's a similar situation with Kagla Sionchu, um, who uh, Leicester have opened contract contract negotiations with and they feel that he will extend as well he's been linked very recently with Manchester City and um, hats off to Leicester they operate fantastically well Um, they sell when they want at the price that they want they get their contract negotiations and renewals done early to protect value Uh, they've got very good relationships with their players and representatives from top at the top, yeah, um, the the owners, yeah, the the the, the owners there, and also um, and John Rudkin and others around the club, and and Susan Whelan on the board. But, but I mean, why would, uh, Leicester and Sheffield United are the two favourite places I visited on match day mm. this season? They're both bouncing. Everybody's positive. The, as soon as you walk into reception, everybody's beaming. Stewards even have a pride in the in the <laughs> place as well. It's so welcoming, so uh, positive, buzzing. If you are a young player and you are second and on this run and you have Brendan Rodgers as a manager going back to the communication at this moment why would you look anywhere else oh I, I, I agree I mean if, if, if it's in the summer and if it's you know if, if they've um, well even if they've won the league I mean they, Kante left after they won the league yeah. didn't he and and, and, and um, other players Mares, Drinkwater have, have left since then but obviously it can sometimes come down to Money and 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 ambition in a in a different sense, or or, or people wanting the 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 profile or, or the the status of, of joining a Manchester United or Manchester City, Liverpool, etc. But if you're a Leicester City player right now, or, or indeed the Leicester City manager, um, why would you why would you look elsewhere? I don't think you would. And I, I think the Rogers thing is interesting because I know he quite fancied the idea of Arsenal. 18 months ago when he was at Celtic I don't think any mm. Celtic fan would be uh, shocked or appalled by that I, th- I think it's it's obvious that that would be the type of job he would have liked uh, he wasn't really he didn't really sort of make the, the, the final stages of that process as David will know better than me uh, but I think if he were offered, if he'd been offered it last week before he signed this contract, I don't, I don't think he would have even been vaguely tempted it's, it's not Arsenal Arsenal should be one of the biggest best jobs in European football never mind English football I don't think it's 
as attractive right now as it should be. And that probably t- tells a lot about the ownership and the way the club's gone over the past decade. A bingo bang one, two, five. <laughs> bingo bang one, two, five. Uh, sent us a question on that saying, new managers come into the Premier League have a clear identity and playing style. So Potter, Nuno, Wilder, goes back to his general theme mm-hmm. that's run through this podcast. Uh, but he, he or she goes on to say, have years of bad recruiting and bad coaching at Arsenal meant that a new manager at the moment has an impossible task? Not impossible, but I, I, I look. You look at the Arsenal squad, and you think, well, all right, there are there, there are some good players there, but they're, they're sort of a lot of them very kind of players with very kind of strange skill sets, mm. where, where they're very good at one thing or two things, and they've got certain things missing from their game in terms of intelligence or tactical discipline or or, um, or physical strength or, or whatever. It's it's a very very strange group of players, in my opinion, and and that's. Um, Probably uh, that probably would have been a very unpopular thing to say uh, before the season started, but I think probably Arsenal, Arsenal fans are, are back in that mode now. Um, I think the, the, the manager who goes in there does have a really difficult job, and I think Emery had a really difficult job because, yeah, as Bingo Bang One Two Five says, <laughs> the club hasn't had a, a clear identity in recent years. They, they have recruited badly. They've let things drift, and it's a, it's a. a, a depressed club which needs re-energising it'd be fascinating to see how Emery does in his next job and there, there, there's been lots of uh, clubs showing interest in him already since since leaving Arsenal nothing concrete um, and he'll take a little while to sort of take stock of it all but to see how he does elsewhere and what that indicates about the situation at Arsenal while he was there uh, I think will be fascinating. Here's, by the way, there's a great David Seaman story coming in just a moment, but not all of it because you have to read David's column for the full thing. But just one final question here, because I, I, Ollie Tucker, I think he's been quite mischievous here, but I, I, I do like the question, so your thoughts will be quite interesting. Uh, Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer seems increasingly light to stay at El Trafford the way things are going for them. So is it possible, if Guardiola does leave at the end of the season, that Pochettino might end up at City instead of United as has been speculated. Is he just being mischievous? Well, I mean, it, no, it's quite logical that he would he would potentially look for a club uh, and a, cl- a club of that stature and the, the club of that stature would look towards Pochettino. Um, it's interesting, some people you speak to around City, and again, as you mentioned, these are, these are people who can hopefully lead us towards the sort of truth, mm. um, suggest that, City won't try and clone Pep Guardiola straight afterwards and that's why Arteta probably won't be appointed as as their manager in the future because no one can imitate Pep and they'll go for someone quite different and uh, a bit of a contrasting character and, and somebody like Pochettino would potentially fit that bill. It certainly um, would be all fine financially, um, the profile level. I mean, he's not won anything in his career, Pochettino, so that might hold him back. However, it's probably more credible in terms of the emotions and things that, than, than Arsenal because despite Arsenal being very fond of him and he is on their list of, of credible candidates, um, some people just cannot get their head around the idea that he will do that, mm. whereas he would certainly, you'd imagine, consider like there's no ba- there's City. no baggage there. Is no, there? exactly. Let's tease then tease your David Seaman story, which is in your column. So, so uh, if you're listening, you have to subscribe for the full story. But go on. Well, a, a bit of a disclaimer here. It was actually provided by James Pierce, right, our okay. Liverpool correspondent. Well, mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of fa- paraphrasing, just because it's under my name and incredibly large face. Um, <laughs> then, <laughs> uh, but but it, it, all I can say to tease uh, yeah. is that it's to do with David Seaman yeah. and nudity. 
Well, and why would you not want to subscribe with that as a as a tease? David Seaman and, and nudity. Uh, David's article, David's column, you can read it on The Athletic. Ollie's is there as well on the rise of the British manager and also that one uh, from last week uh, on the uh, how much a, a sacking really makes a difference and your interview with Kieran Trippier as well. Yeah. yeah who's yeah. enjoying life. Oh, he is, absolutely. He's uh, He speaks very highly of uh, Diego Simeone. Communication. Now, that's a guy who does energi- energise a group of players. Yeah, but there's, a, but there's a guy that, again, it, it, it's, mm. not just a, it's not just in the Premier League. There's a guy that energises the fans... Mm. And has energised his players. Absolutely. I mean, you, you could say that along with Klopp at Dortmund and now Liverpool, he, he's a sort of classic example of of that within um, within European football over the over the past decade. You can get a forty percent discount on, on subscription by going to theathletic.com uh, forward slash Ornstein and Chapman. Theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman. All of our podcasts are completely free. There are plenty more. Uh, including club-specific podcasts. So Lee Dixon is back on the Arsenal podcast, Handbrake Off, this week. And if you do like this podcast, please give us a rating. Uh, tell us what you think. I always think it sounds a bit desperate when you say, be nice, please. But if you could be nice, and that, that would massively help. Uh, thank you, Ollie. Pleasure. Talk to you soon. David will be back next week. See you then. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the David Seaman story if you subscribe. <laughs>